Welcome to Financial R&R, a show dedicated to financial insurance and risk management solutions and trends shaping the market today. Here are your hosts, Ron Boris and Ryan Farnsworth. Well, welcome everyone. Uh, Happy New Year. This is our first Financial R&R podcast of 2022. My name is Ron Boris and I lead the financial institutions business at Alliant. I'm here with my partner, Ryan Farnsworth. And, and with our two special guests today, two attorneys in our legal and claims group, Mattia Marks and Abby Dar. Mattia joined us in 2021 and brought with her a, a skill set um, where she specializes in policy wording and a number of other sort of legal and claims related type things that she helps our brokers with every day. And, and Abby and I have been fortunate to work together now for at least five years. Abby is a senior attorney in our group who focuses uh, working with clients on complex claims resolution and we wanted to spend some time today talking about M&A claims. Certainly saw a, a ton of M&A activity in 2021. And, and unfortunately, in, in some situations, as a result of mergers and acquisitions, uh, there are claims. There are definitely some nuances that go along with claims from a DNO perspective when it comes to insurance. So, uh, Ryan, I'm going to hand it over to you. Yeah, look, I mean, we're going into 2022 full steam ahead. And I think anytime we're talking about M&A claims and the management liability, professional liability sector, it always starts with security class action trends and, and how that's impacting the DNO market and the rest of the claims kind of tend to follow from there. Mattia, we'd love to get a, a snapshot of, of your perspective from 2021 and what the security class action trends look like. I think they caught us a little all by surprise in terms of how it turned out out, but love to hear your thoughts on that. Thanks, Ryan. Yeah, it's definitely been an interesting year in the security class action litigation space. We're still waiting for the final numbers to come out, but as of the middle of 2021, we were at the lowest level we'd seen in years at 112, and we are definitely expecting to see a similar amount for the second half of the year. On the SPAC front, there had been 600 SPAC IPOs as of December 15th which had raised a total of $160 billion compared to 250 SPAC IPOs, which raised $80 billion last year. So we're definitely seeing a large increase in, in that space. According to SPAC Insider, there are currently 507 SPACs seeking to identify merger targets, and there have been 48 business combinations so far in 2021. And there's also been 29 SPAC-related securities class action lawsuits filed in 2021. Those suits are mostly related to business combinations that took place in 2020 or prior. So we've seen that there has been a lag between the business combination and when the litigation hits. And these claims have mostly been based on the poor performance of the new public companies, as well as negative disclosures, which affected the stock price of these SPAC companies. And finally, alleged misinformation that was distributed to shareholders prior to the DSPAC transaction. So more to come on that later in the podcast. Now, there's definitely a lot going on. And it seems as every time the SPAC has become a four-letter word for DNO insurance underwriters, <laughs> you, you, you hear the folks, the talking heads on CNBC and refer to SPACapalooza. And they, they seem to have soured on on recommending those types of companies in terms of buying, given their performance and, and also given the, the questions around it from a regulatory perspective. It's going to be very interesting to monitor those trends going into 2022. And one thing that we've been seeing over the last 18 to 24 months is, is the activity in private equity and the claims that are arising from M&A 
and other corporate transactions. Abby, I know you you spend so much of your time in that world. What are some trends that you're seeing with respect to M&A claims and even with insurance coverage relative to those to those matters? Well, thank you so much for asking. You know, I'm a sucker for talking about claims. So yeah, 2021 was a banner year for us, even though the claims volume and securities class actions were down, the trends that we've really been noticing is sort of the granularity with which the courts are looking at the details of the underlying transaction as it applies to coverage. So I'll give you some examples of what we're seeing out there, Ryan. It's kind of nuts because in the traditional world of your bump up claim based on Fendi 5, where people were talking about not getting adequate share price consideration, it was say a company that no one was going to get a dime uh, of coverage for settlement. But the courts are looking at it more deeply, which is great, including in the Willis versus AIG and Northrop Grumman matters. They both involve bump-up claims, and they both involve bump-up exclusions that specifically excluded loss that was related to allegations of unfair share price consideration. So let's go back to Willis versus AIG. There were two underlying actions there. One was based on allegations of misrepresentations in the proxy statement, and one was a derivative claim. So the court took a look at it, and Willis came and they said, we we want our money. Thanks for defending us, folks, but we want our money for the settlement here. And obviously, the insurers said, no, we have a specific exclusion here for bump-up claims. So the court said, no. That exclusion doesn't apply because we've got to look at the details of the underlying transaction. And they found that there was a distinction in their mind of an acquisition or a takeover versus a merger situation. And they found that because it was a merger situation, that the bump-up exclusion did not apply. So similarly, the Delaware Chancery Court took a similar look at a bump-up exclusion situation in Northrop Grumman, which was kind of like the Mac Daddy of all bump-up exclusion coverage litigations. I think it involved like eight coverage litigations. And similarly found that the transaction had to be looked at in order for the court to determine whether or not the exclusion applied. And they said that because the underlying transaction did not involve the acquisition of all or substantially all of the assets of the company at issue, then the bump-up exclusion didn't apply. Now, I happen to know a little birdie told me, Ryan, that you're very interested in straddle claims. So I just wanted to point out to you that Northrop Grumman involved both pre-merger and post-merger allegations of wrongdoing, and which could implicate separate powers of insurance. And we need to pay really strict attention to situations there, particularly in the SPAC universe. And that's what the straddle claims pertain to. So I know Matias is going to talk more about it on the front of the SEC litigation and certain settlements. But I just wanted to foreshadow that because the court was not convinced in Northrop Grumman that either argument um, trying to preclude or push coverage into a prior tower of insurance would work, but there's much more than meets the eye and a lot of discussion to be had. 
Thanks, Abby. And in addition to the traditional M&A litigation, as I mentioned earlier, we've seen 29 securities class action cases involving SPACs. And there have been a few notable ones that recently have settled that I wanted to mention here. The first one involves an electric vehicle company. And in that case, the SEC accused the electric vehicle manufacturer of violating the securities laws with numerous misleading statements that it had made for a significant period about its production capabilities as well as the company's financial outlook. And the settlement actually followed civil and criminal charges that were filed against the company's founder for using social media to repeatedly mislead investors about the company's technology and capabilities. And the case actually settled for $125 million payment to the SEC, so a pretty significant payment there. And another notable case involves a music streaming company that misrepresented that it had earned millions in revenue and had many subscribers when it had, in fact, none. And the SEC filed an emergency action in order to preserve the company's cash in order to get some of that money back to investors. And the company actually ended up paying a pretty large disgorgement amount of $38.8 million back to its investors. And in the last week or so, we've also seen several new cases filed against SPACs. The first one being securities class action lawsuit against SPAC merger fintech company, where individuals were named in the lawsuit that included two former officers of the SPAC, where the IPO had been completed in August 2020. The business combination had been announced in December 2020, and then the merger was completed in March of 2021. And the company actually had revised their earnings guidance, which resulted in a pretty significant declination to their share price. The complaint actually named four individual defendants, including the former CEO and CFO of the SPAC, as well as the CEO and CFO of the new company after the business combination. And the complaint alleged that the defendants failed to disclose information about regulations in key markets that would have affected the company's performance. So there were definitely um, allegations in the complaint about false or misleading information. And then most recently, there was a securities class action filing against the company that completed its back IPO in November 2020 and then announced plans to merge with a company that provided space infrastructure to the national security, civil and commercial markets. And that company completed their business combination in September of 2021. And the problem that we experienced here was that the company had announced plans to postpone the release of its third quarter earnings due to some accounting issues that they became aware of. And that also caused a significant declination of its share price. And then subsequently, the company filed a notice with the SEC saying that they couldn't finalize their financial statements as a result, which further uh, reduced the price of their stock. And then there was a securities class action claim was filed against the D's and O's of the private company, as well as the DSPAC company with that alleged weaknesses in the company's internal controls with regard to their financial reporting. So we're definitely going to be keeping our eye on these two cases to see how they play out in the future. Well, Mattia and Abby, you've sufficiently scared everyone in the industry about dealing with claims, and and you probably could be writers on the next season of Succession based on all these corporate issues that you're identifying. That is a great show. And and working through it. 
I mean, as you know, and on this podcast, we do everything we can to help our clients find a more rewarding way to manage risk. I mean, with with all of these claims and potential policy issues that are dealing with exclusions and bad actors, and what is it that we are doing now? You know, you talked about it, Abby. I, yes, I love I love straddle claims. I'm a sucker for straddle claims. One of the first things I did in this industry over 20 years ago, close to 20 years ago, was help a client through a straddle claim. So it's not a new problem that we've been that we've been posed with, but finding the solution tends to be a problem for a lot of clients. And especially when you're dealing with acts that span a transaction. I mean, maybe Mattia, maybe I'll turn it over to you first. Talk through some of the uh, strategies that we have and that we need to implement to help clients work through M&A and SPAC related litigation when it comes to policy wording. In traditional M&A transactions, it's important to review any bump-up exclusion that's contained in the DNO contract, as Abby was alluding to before, and to make sure that any of those exclusions are as narrow as possible. Uh, it's also important to review other policy terms like the definition of securities claim to make sure it's as broad as possible, as well as define the definition of transaction. I and mean, that was the, the situation in, in one of the cases that Abby was just speaking about. So that way we know what type of deal could potentially be subject to a bump up exclusion. And we don't run into that situation where we're trying to figure out whether the applicability of that exclusion would apply to the transaction. As far as facts are concerned, it's important to make sure that the prior acts exclusion on the go forward policy doesn't include that broad catch all language that could potentially kick out coverage for something that you don't want to. So I like to, to normally try and amend the wording of the prior acts exclusion on the go forward policy instead of broad based upon arising out of attributable to type wording to preclude it only for that part of law that is attributable to wrongful acts that occur prior to the transaction date. That way, you get rid of that over overly broad lead-in language. And then it's also important to, on the runoff policy, to make sure that a straddle claim is specifically going to be picked up by the runoff policy. And so it's important to be intentional about that wording and make sure that any wrongful acts, even if they happen over time, will be deemed to have been committed on the earliest date and covered under the runoff policy. It's such a key protection that the underwriters have. When that language gets in the policy, it's it's game over. And you know, we've fought for our clients multiple times when we haven't been the broker for the go forward policy but we've had you know, insureds that are sitting on a go-forward board to fight and get the best wording possible. At that point, it does, it's not about who's the broker. It's about how we can best manage the risk. And as we try to foresee those types of issues and other things that are going on into 2022, I want to put your crystal ball in front of you, Abby and, and Mattia, and maybe Abby first. Talk about some predictions that you see for 2022. What are some things that we should be anticipating in the coming year? Absolutely, Ryan. And just to address something you said earlier, we certainly do not want to scare any listener or any of our clients. We are here and we are aware of the issues. So we're armed with the ability to work with our clients to approach the insurance companies and make sure that they get the fulsome coverage that they deserve. So I know you guys on the broker side are doing that and the folks on the claim side are here as your teammates doing that as well. So putting my little crystal ball in front of me. What do I see in 2022? Because there is a delay in the IPO and the ultimate business combination and the back sphere, I don't see that we won't 
see additional securities class actions that evolve around the ultimate business combination. But I am hopeful that based on what we all know now and and our involvement, that we're going to see policies that specifically address the SPAC world and that at the end of the DSPAC. So we will see things about involving uh, directors and officers because we're going to see the result of the backlog of the IPO ultimately going into business combinations. And so, as I had previously said, so I mean, while we don't see that we're not going to be busy doing this, we're better prepared to deal with this claim sphere. And we've certainly seen the arguments and we're ready to make them. Yeah. And I'd like to add to, to what Abby said, you know, we've seen significant guidance from the SEC outlining the importance of the disclosure obligation under the federal securities laws as they relate to conflicts of interest. And in fact, the chair of the SEC said in a speech in December of 2021 that he continues to be concerned about investors in SPAC booths at the time of the initial SPAC IPO, as well as at the business combination stage. So his concern is, you know, are investors benefiting from the protections that they would get under a traditional IPO with respect to disclosure? So there are continue to be inherent conflicts between the types of investors who stay through the end of the deal versus those who cash out. And and the SEC has concerns about the discrepancy in, in information that's available to shareholders about the business combination. Certainly, the economic terms of the investments made by the SPAC sponsors, the directors and officers, and their financial incentives are often different from that of public shareholders. So I think that given that the SEC staff has been invited to provide proposals to consider how to better align the treatment of SPACs and their participants with investor protections, that we're going to continue to see some activity here from the SEC, as well as more SPAC-related regulations in the future. Well, listen, I'm thrilled to have been able to disprove all those people who say, I can't sit through a podcast and not steal the show. I mean, listen, at the end of the day, when you're fortunate to have two really talented attorneys like the two of you and a great moderator and Ryan, I mean, this was definitely one of my favorite podcasts recorded to date and and certainly a great way to start the the new year. So thank you both for for taking the time. And, and, And all this does is continue to remind me how really lucky we are as brokers to have such great partners. I continue to be impressed day in and day out with our legal and claims group. And oftentimes people think that that group is is just for recovering claims. And you guys certainly do a great job at, at that. But there's so much more to what we can offer in the area of advice and expertise and help. And I think you two are, are great examples of that. So with that, we'll wrap up this, this episode of the Financial R&R. Thanks, Ryan, for being such a great moderator today. And for those of you who've heard some things today that you'd love to learn more about, whether it's speaking with, with members of our team or or learning more about Alliant, you can visit our website at www.alliant.com. But with that, we'll wrap things up for now and look forward to tuning in again soon with the next latest and greatest topic coming out of our financial institutions team. Thanks so much. Thank you.